three in the morning. I was bawling my eyes out. I was just crushed. My baby wouldn't stop crying. I couldn't breastfeed. It was just a horrendous time. Just so not enjoying it. And I read something that said, it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I always, it's just stuck in my head. And, you know, when things get tough or I'm, I'm, you know, I had another bout of depression last year and then I'm only just starting to come out of now. But I can keep saying that to myself and I think that was, has become kind of like a, a principle in that, you know, for, for the work that I do with the Kindness Collective, it's all based on non-judgment, empathy, and that every Kiwi deserves kindness. So those are my, I guess, values for the work. But for me, it's just, it's all gonna be okay in the end. So whatever is going on today, it's all gonna be okay. You're listening to another episode of Success with Purpose, where we hold conversations with the most holistically successful people we have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their life-changing events, their perspectives, their mindset, and most importantly, their purpose. I'm Harry Goldberg, host, interviewer, and interrogator of this podcast, father of the most incredible daughter in the world, husband of an incredible woman, and director and empowerment coach at Purpose Advisory. Hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to subscribe and like below. Now, let's begin. For the listeners, your career's gone something like this. You went to Auckland Uni, started out in marketing and events, worked your way up to leadership roles. Uh, during this time, you did a whole range of successful freelancing work too. Uh, three years ago, uh, that all changed when you founded the Kindness Collective Foundation, which is a New Zealand charity spreading kindness by connecting children and families with the things they need and but basically both for the essentials and memories which create joy. Uh, your charity has gained accolades, awards, recognition, and building up a pretty impressive following too, and impact. Uh, you have a husband, an inspirational nine-year-old, I'm sure we'll be able to talk a lot about in this conversation too, and a kitten that might jump on you any second now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So my first question for you, which is always a nice, easy question to start the conversation, is how do you define success? Yeah, really, really easy. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Um, how do I define success? Um, it used to look really different for me five years ago. Um, success used to be stuff. It used to be having new clothes and more money in the bank and better things. Yeah. Success was always stuff and how much I could get and how much I could do and how good I could be at my job. But now success for me is quite simply based on purpose and feeling like I have one. Being happy at the end of the day that I have done something impactful for someone else. Being a good mum and making sure that my child has whatever he needs to thrive. So my success now is based on making sure my whānau is happy and making sure my extended whānau of, of everybody that our charity works with, making sure that their needs are fulfilled as well. So I think it's changed hugely. And now I'm at this completely different point in my life where I, all of that stuff no longer matters to me and no longer has a success label tacked onto it. 
What what was that term that you just used? Uh, close to you and further away from you, or extended. Fano. So fano is the Māori word in New Zealand for mm-hmm. family. So um, I don't know how much you know of New I've, Zealand. I've had a chat with Josh Comrie and and Nathan as well. Ah, uh, okay, cool. So te reo so, is the um, language of the Māori people in New Zealand who are Indigenous people of New Zealand, the people that were here first. So um, wherever possible, um, I believe it's, as a New Zealander, as somebody who came here second, I believe it's our duty, our um, privilege to use te reo as much as we can and mm-hmm. to um, understand and respect the culture of our Indigenous people here. So I speak yeah. as much as I can and as much as I'm able to learn. Beautiful. And so if we supplement that word family, or I'll use the word family because mm-hmm. I've never been good with language or no, memorizing okay. words. Uh, but now you're saying that success for you is not about the things that you can have and the things that you can do and be and your status and, mm. and all of that and how big your bank account is. It's now more of this, it's more of a purpose and a feeling. I think you shared yeah. that you ask yourself at the end of each day, um, have I had an impact on someone else? Does my son feel loved? Do I, mm. And that's for both for my close family as well as, I guess you're saying the further family, right? Yeah, and I consider everybody that my charity works with and supports, I consider them my family too. And okay. I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's success for me now looks like what change have I made in someone else's life? Because that's where I've been successful. And it, it, it used to be, um, my drive used to come from being better at my job or people thinking I was good at my job or people thinking that, you know, oh, she's done well here or she's done well here. Or, but now I just don't, I don't care. <laughs> now it's more about, now it's more about making sure that it doesn't matter what other people think. It's what we actually do for these people. That's where I feel success comes from. But I think I'm also on the flip side of that. I am, if I've been called an overachiever a thousand times in my life before. And so there's always that drive to have I done enough? I could be doing more. There's so much more I could be doing. So that's always there as well. Mm. Okay. And so there's, it sounds almost as if it's either competing or you've changed the definition of what more is. It sounds like you're always trying to. Uh, or you said it's part of you and it motivates you. What can I do more? How can I mm. do even better? How can I achieve more? And yet you're saying that it's no longer about who you can be and what you can do. It's more about the impact that you have now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's in my line of work, I think once you see certain things and once you understand how other people live in the divide between the haves and the have-nots, especially in my country. Once you see that, you cannot unsee it. You cannot, um, yeah, my mind is now taken up with how can I be better at my job so these people can have more of what they need to in order to, for them to thrive in their lives. So my success now is based on did that fundraising drive go well enough? Did we feed more people than we fed last time? 
how many more children can we get warm winter pajamas for than than last year? And that's what success is is being able to increase the resource for other people. Okay. Yeah. And is that, that also your def? Yeah, it, make, it makes perfect sense. Is that yeah. also your definition for impact or how you Definitely. measure impact as well? Yeah, that's how we how we measure impact for a charity like us as well as look we we are new and we're still relatively small in the terms of the charity sector. I mean, there's 27,800 charities in New Zealand. We have the most charities, I think, per head out of lots of countries. Um, and yet there's still so much need and the need is growing every single day. So I think impact for us is measured in what we do, our output. Does it make a difference? Does it help anyone? Is that output increasing? Um, and how, if not, how can we make an increase? Because the more we do, the more people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I mean, is a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty kind of broad goal, right? Like you want to provide people with the essential items, like mm. all the things which they need, mm. as well as to be able to give them memories of joy. Yeah, look, my charity is super, you know, it's unique where there's no one else like us in New Zealand doing what we do because it's, so so varied what we do is varied and you know one week it's one month in December we opened the Christmas joy store which is a social toy store where uh, parents and caregivers could come and choose presents for their children themselves that they knew that they would love so one month we're doing the Christmas joy store the next month we're building community gardens and planting potatoes so it's incredibly different um, and it's different and, and that's the point because it's there's so many others doing this one thing and providing one solution based on one area of need in the country. But we our approach is different because we are community led. So instead of me sitting in a room going, This community needs this, I'm gonna provide this for you. Um, it is people coming to us and communities telling us what they need. We are not important. Our charity, I'm not important. They're the ones out there doing the work and the um, and being, I guess, what you call on the front line. And we are just getting them the resource to help them make their jobs easier. So we're just providing resource to families f- for there, you know. So um, tangent, major tangent. <laughs> Sorry, but, well, but I mean, it, what... it is varied. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear then, because obviously that's a that's been a very intentional uh, decision to be quite different to yeah, it has. and to all the other charities. Yeah. yeah. What what kind of guided that, and what's guiding you to be uh, to be creating this impact in the ways that you're trying to do it as well? So it all it is it, it hasn't been an intentional decision today in 2022 to keep being different. It's more how it started and why it started um and that's what's led it to be what it is now and for us to realize actually it's good to be different it's good to be filling gaps in government and community support it's actually really good that this is like this and it started in 2014 um and it this entire organization this entire charity wasn't even a charity pre-2020 it was literally a little community group and I would post on my own personal Facebook and Instagram and say guys I need some food for this or I need this I've found this 
family who need this. Can you help me? And I, over time, started rallying my friends and my family to um, donate to causes and to start lending a hand, volunteering, giving their excess so we could help other people. And it yeah started in 2014, very randomly, in that I had my son in 2012. And he was very much wanted, and I wanted to be a mum for a really long time. And then he was born, and I had horrendous postnatal depression, like just really, really bad, and struggled with it for years. Um, and I'm really open about the fact that I struggled with it because there's just not enough information out there and there's not enough people talking about postnatal depression and how common it is and how, my God, it changes everything and it completely rocks your boat. And it was in about 2014, in the beginning of it, where we noticed that Max, my, my son, he was not responding and uh, to us to... Um, I guess he was not developing and, and not responding in the other way that other children were. And I was in a coffee group and all these kiddos were doing all these things and waving and pointing and chatting and Max was just not doing anything. And about 12 months when he was just turning one, there was just so many red flags and things were just not good. And I went and got him checked out. And at 18 months old, which is super young, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and global development delay. So I remember the pediatrician's um, words like yesterday, and he said, he's a lovely little boy, but he may never talk. And so at 18 months old, when you've got this baby that you really wanted and you're like in the midst of depression and it's all just, uh, and then you're told that he's autistic, he probably won't talk, that's that. Um, and then you're, you walk away and you go home and you've got this baby, you've got no idea what to do. The lack of support in New Zealand for children with disabilities is massive. It's just massive. There's just nowhere to go. The wait lists are ridiculous. It's, it's hard. And so after about eight months, kind of nine months of navigating this, being in all these different um, Facebook groups for parents with children with disabilities and just this common thread of there's no help, there's no support unless you can pay for it, it you know, crap. Um, I, I got just even more depressed and kind of, you know, you try all the different methods to make yourself feel better, you try all the different things, you drink too much, you eat too much, you whatever, you know, and just nothing was, nothing was working. And I just randomly one day had this thought where I'd just go and empty my cupboards and I'll just put it all in bags and I'm just going to go to my local woman's refuge and I'm just going to donate some food and I don't know why I've always been like the type of person who walks down Queen Street which is our major street in Auckland um, and I've always carried cash so if I met someone who was homeless on the street I could always have cash for them and I've done that since I was like 19 years old I've always, <laughs> I've always been someone who had, you know, deliberately carried cash to give to people. But I'd never done anything really more than that. And, yeah, and so I went to the refuge. I donated all this food, and I got this instant hug and this feeling of appreciation and this joy, and I couldn't describe it, and it just felt so good. And for a few days afterwards, I felt really good. 
I wasn't as depressed. I didn't feel as hopeless. I just had this instant kind of different feeling than I'd been experiencing for the prior, the past two years. And so I started repeating it. So I started turning up to the refuge more. And then I started getting my friends and their families and their families to donate food. And then we started doing Christmas presents for the kids at school and um, the kids at Christmas and then stationery from when they went to school at the beginning of the year. And it just kind of grew from there. And I started doing quite a little bit and quite a bit in the disability community because the the divide for people who were able to get support in that community was just so different. You know, my family was incredibly fortunate in that we could go and buy therapy and we could buy help and we could buy a really good outcome for Max and that now he's a little chatterbox all day, always always talking, <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. So like, please, please, Max, just please stop talking for a moment. <laughs> no, not at all. His voice is like, it's, it's magic to me. Um, but I just started noticing that there was just this massive gap for people. And so we started um, doing more in that space as well. And then it just kind of grew from there. And then in 2019, we were building, a, redoing a playground and building a garden for a refuge safe house. And I, um, a camera crew turned up and I was on Seven Sharp in New Zealand, which is like a TV show. And you, there's this award called Good as Gold and you get given 10 grand. And being on TV and getting given a little cash injection, it was like, oh, wow, okay. Because lots of people started getting in touch. And then lots of people started wanting to donate. So I went, right, let's make this a thing and become a registered charity. So we could do more essentially. And then it's just grown from there quite quickly um but my you know the way that it has grown is that it's because we started doing these different things in the beginning and I will go back to that (laughs) I do remember that was the question (laughs) um but you know the way that it's grown is that we were doing these different things all the time and people really loved that People really loved that it was varied and they really loved being able to um, donate to different things and do different things. So we've just expanded on that and we've kept it, you know, the, the I guess the, the objective and the concept of the Kindness Collective is that it's different things um, and it's community-led. So people will tell us what we need and then we provide that for them and it can be anything. And I think people really enjoy it because... It allows them to help, you know, various people in the community in different ways. Well, Does it's that make beautiful. sense? Like, it, yeah, it, come, it comes back to what you're saying about being community-led. It's yeah. almost as if it's not just what the community of people who are receiving gifts from you uh, are asking for. It's almost also the people who want to be contributing and the people who want to give mm. are also part of community. Yeah, and that's what we've built, and it is, that is exactly it. We have built this community of kind people who don't necessarily know each other beforehand from all different walks of life, um, but now their common hobby, their mission, is to get involved in all the different projects. And we've had some incredible feedback from you know what I call our members, so um, our active donors and volunteers and people who are you know consistently within the the collective always con- contributing in some way 
and this guy Jack who um a friend got to come and fix something for us at one of the refuge safe houses um and I've I've roped him in he's amazing and now he, three years later he's he still helps me with all sorts of things and he said something to me once that has stuck with me and that it's it's not just the people that we help Sarah it's you've also helped us too um mm. because it gave him an outlet to be able to give freely and you know, I've been told that it's also helped, you know, being able, sort of enabling other people to be givers as well has lifted other people's depression and other people have found joy in becoming a giver and being, you know, I guess that we can facilitate them donating to stuff as well. It's really helped their mental health. Mm. Mm. I, I found yeah. it's really, really hard to be depressed and to be um, always thinking inward if you're giving to other people, if you're not focusing on that and you're, you're, you're focusing on what you can do for others, it's really hard to be depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you ever, do you ever feel that's kind of like a bandaid not dealing with the issue or is just kind of like, well, this is a solution. I could just keep doing the exact same solution all the time. A hundred percent. It's a bandaid. A hundred percent. And I, I hope one day I don't have a job. If that sounds strange, I, I long for the day where the kindness collective doesn't exist and that every Kiwi has what they need to thrive. I long for the day that charities aren't, we don't need them anymore um, because it's not fixing anything. And it's sometimes it can get really heartbreaking. You know, Christmas, we did um, a community, I think we did like 800 food parcels over three weeks. So the, this specific community could get food support over Christmas because it's really tough at Christmas for people. So we did two and a half thousand presents, but then we did, um, I think it was close to 800 food boxes as well over three weeks. And then there's this feeling of, you know, it takes a lot of work to do that, to pack and to get all the resource and to get the money. It takes a lot of work. And then the next week, they don't have any food. Yes. You know, and it's it's this constant cycle of people just not having enough. Um, and there is nothing any charity can do to fix that. There is nothing we can do. We can be stop gap measures. We can plug holes. We can help people that week. Um we can't fix the actual problem and it's a horrible you know like it's it's quite difficult to be in a job where you know that you'll never fix it you'll never achieve it um but then I guess that goes back to success as well is that it's it does give you a bit of a drive to always make sure that you are doing all that you can to keep that impact going mm. now this this might be perhaps more of a challenging question, but it's been something I've, uh, I wasn't expecting to ask you, but it's been something which I've always kind of uh, been a little bit frustrated about the concept of charity versus government all the time, because it's almost as though the more philanthropy you have in a particular area, mm. the less the government will contribute to mm. it because philanthropy and charity will come in and will say, okay, well, the government's supporting people this much and they need to be supported this much. So let's just kind of like bridge that gap. And then the government will look at it next year and go, well, budgets are really tight. Oh, like yeah. that one, like we only had that sort of standard for it and it's right up there. Let's just pull back a bit. And then mm. 
it's almost as if it's like people are paying a voluntary tax. Yeah. And this is something that I have big conversations with people about all the time. And it goes back to that fix is that the, the system in which we live in all over the world and you probably didn't expect this conversation to go here, but it's going to go here. It's going to go wherever <laughs> it's going to go. go. go I've, I've asked my first question and it can go wherever. Um, this is fun. I think until the problems of um, the way that society is built, I'm just, I, I don't, you know, I'm going to talk about just New Zealand, but until we address systemic racism and classism and the, the way that New Zealand is set up, for white people to succeed and for our Indigenous people to always be on the bottom, nothing's going to change. And I think until we address the issues of colonisation in this country, there isn't much we can do to fix it. And that needs to come from the government. And it needs the government needs to be doing more, all the time doing more. And our current government have done as much as they possibly could and they are miles better than the other team um, but but there is there's always 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 way more that could be done and I think until we address those issues I don't think we're, all, we're I think we're always going to be scrambling to get by and it's it's just the system in which we live is set up for some of us to do really well and for some of us not to and I I just don't think it's not right and it will never be right and I think we're always going to be in this position, but it should be, there should be a much different um, ratio of government support versus, you know, what we currently have. Which kind of leads to the conclusion that you either put more effort and uh, more of the efforts of your charity towards changing the government and lobbying towards particular change within government as well. Yeah, and there are some incredible people doing awesome work in that space. And um, I always wanted to be a politician. I always wanted to go into politics, but I'm too emotional. I'll just cry. So um, <laughs> you can't have a debate with someone and just cry. So I, yeah, <laughs> so I'm not able. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm thick-skinned enough with politics, but I, um, I think there are some incredible people doing some awesome work with trying to get some things, you know, some policies and in the way that we live changed. But it's just, you know, until until the day where we no longer need charities, I will keep doing my job. Just and even if, if it's only a small portion of people that we're helping every year, um, it it's better than what I was doing before, which was making people money by selling booze. So, you know, because that that was that was kind of like the start of it all, right? But let, I'm I'm curious if we go even further back because now I'm even more curious about who Sarah Page is in history. <laughs> uh, what was maybe if we start all the way back to like kind of like, what was your upbringing? How did you end up going through all the stages you went to to end up yeah. going to uni to end up going through? Uh, marketing and corporate and making a whole lot of money to eventually just leave it all. Not a whole lot. Some. <laughs> Some. Um, we actually were very lucky to um, invest a, a lot of that into um, Max, into my son. So some people have really, really nice houses and we have Max who talks. Um, we actually, we, you know, we spent a lot of money on his therapy over the last four years to enable to give him the best start in life and 
um, we're very fortunate that we were able to do that. So that's where all our money went over the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> and I also have a really nice collection of Nike kicks that I collect and hoard. So um, <laughs> it's, it's that too. Um, so I was, I was brought up um, from, uh, you know, broken family, like a lot of people now. And um, my mum raised me essentially with my stepfather and um yeah and my mum is I think where I get my drive and my ambition and um and my heart from is from my mum she's pretty incredible um she while my you know when it was just me and my mum and my sisters um mum was on the DPB she cleaned houses she um mowed lawns she did whatever she needed to do to make sure that I didn't go without and um and I remember times were really tough and things were really um you know money was really short a lot of the time and but I didn't really know it at the time my mum did everything that she could to make me feel like we were good um and then when she was older, how's this? When she was older, she went, I'm going to be a lawyer and went back to university at 50 <laughs> and became a lawyer. Wow. Uh, yeah, she's exceptional. And, um, and I think I'll, all my good parts come from my mum. So, um, but it was, you know, it was, yeah, I, I, like, I think like everybody you have good memories and bad memories of um, childhood, but yeah, but I, I got in, you know, I left school and I didn't really have a ambition to be anything or do anything. I wasn't particularly the most smartest person um, at school. Like, I didn't excel at school. I didn't, um, I wasn't good at anything. I, I remember in most of my classes paying other kids to finish my work for me because I wasn't very good at stuff. Um, I wasn't very athletic. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, some people have hobbies and like things they're really good at. I didn't have any and I didn't have, um, I never won an awards. I, I never, I was never good at anything. And I think that kind of continued on, but what I was good at was talking <laughs> and I was good at selling stuff. And, um, I think that led me into marketing and, um, it started actually with very, you know, I started in not traditional marketing, but in the hospitality scene and with events and nightclubs and selling parties. And um, my husband was a DJ and a, a dance party promoter, essentially, for most of our first part of our relationship. So I, I got involved in it by helping him. And then that sort of developed into event management and realized, oh, I'm actually really good at telling people what to do. Um, oh, I'm really good at talking. So I got into event management as well. And then the marketing sort of... Um, developed from there but I like telling stories I like communicating I like talking to people and I think that's why the kindness collective has been able to grow quite quickly as well as I'm able to tap into that um, and connect with people because everybody I think is inherently kind and everybody is inherently good and everyone wants to help people so I think I've been able to use that in this realm as well. I love that. And it's like, 
you've got this drive within your personality. Like you even gave an example of it earlier where you, uh, you just found that it was, it was really great experience to be able to go and give, uh, go and give food to, mm. to a women's shelter. It's like, this feels great. It's, feels great for me. It's going to feel great for others. Let me rope some others into it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, you want to feel great? Go and give some food to this place. And You're going to feel exactly, great. And then they did, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's how it grew. And I'm very honest about the fact that the Kindness Collective started with me being kind of selfish, you know. It, 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 was, it wasn't a selfless act. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not naturally a server. I'm not naturally someone that wants to serve other people first. You know, I'm. I'm it's not you know, naturally me, but I think the more you do something, the more you become it. And um, so it did start with me wanting to, yeah, it did start, and I guess in a selfish way, but it soon became really apparent that being kind to other people by, you know, being practically kind and giving other people what they needed was a really really good way for you not to think about your own darkness and uh, it was and it's still addictive and I still nothing brings me greater joy than taking a full van full of brand new you know clothes and I mean we just went to the refuge last week and had $30,000 of incredible men's streetwear um, from the like a massive brand in New Zealand you know and I got to go and give that to all the men and the you know young boys and the, the men in the refuge community that they now get to wear good clothes and look and feel their best. And I just, nothing brings me greater joy than that because I believe that everybody should get to feel and look and um, and feel their best and thrive. Everyone should have that. Mm. Yeah. And so it sounds like there's this guiding principle of yours of not just continue to become who you want to be and if you've got a problem, well, you've got to face it and be open about it because maybe that'll help other people face it too. But it's almost as if, if you see other people having problems or other people having negative emotions, you'll try and find ways that are going to try and solve their problems too, right? Yeah, and I think you just said something there because I've not always been the most... Um, oh, you know, everyone has an element where they care what people think, right? Like everyone's mm -hmm. got everyone's got this part of themselves that cares deeply what other people think of them. And I've historically josh will love that i said my coach josh will love that i just said the word historically you'll <laughs> love it um historically i've cared more about what people thought which has held me back in so many ways and i'm i don't know if it's turning 41 i don't know if it's being in this job but now i just no longer care <laughs> i don't care if you think i'm too um loud about charities i don't think if you if i ask for too much money all the time if i'm the person that's always asking for money for a different cause so be it you've got some give it to me like you know like i don't care anymore because i know that this outcome is more important than this so yeah i don't know if that okay so which means it's not so much that you just don't care about it you care more about i care more about this yeah yeah and i think yeah I, I care more about that outcome and i think if people and I think that's actually something that's starting to become more widely practiced now and I don't know if it's age or if it's just the world we live in now but people are starting to be more vulnerable and talk more about their feelings and talk more about things like depression and talk more about 
what brings them joy and all this kind of stuff. Conversations are starting to happen more than they weren't five, 10 years ago. Um, and I think podcasts are actually a really great um, platform for that because people are starting to have more in-depth conversations about things that matter. So um, the Kindness Collective has definitely enabled that to happen for me and my friends and family because it gets us thinking about things other than ourselves and things that matter, you know, and talking about things that matter. Mm. Mm. And on that line, like on, on that note, we continue through your journey, right? And you realize you're great at communicating, you re realize you're great at chatting and uh, managing <laughs> events and bringing people together. That. I chat a lot. Maybe not so good <laughs> at staying on, on the point, but you know. <laughs> hey, who says that the chat needs to be on the point? So. <laughs> I'm sure anyone who's listening, who's still been listening this long, loves the fact that we chat and don't stay exactly on the point. <laughs> but the, you kind of continued realize, like continue going with your strengths and working towards the success, at least the way that you defined it. And mm. then when you started to pivot what success means, it sounds like that really started with the postnatal depression mm. with Max. And so was there, was there anything else which happened in that journey from kind of like uh, finishing school, working career uh, until Max that kind of started to shape who you are today? Look, I don't think so, no. And I think, I think this part of my life from this is where I've kind of become who I am, I think. And I've really formed at least the bits of myself that I like. And I think it's I think it's been this last ten years, and I think if you speak to you know any mum, they'll tell you that becoming a mother it changes everything. And I think when you become a mother of a child with a disability, it changes everything again. So that you know teenage twenties, I just don't really think about it much anymore. It's not really a formative you know part of my life, and I think. There was a lot of fun. There wasn't much ambition. I didn't really do anything of, you know, noteworthy. There wasn't anything I did good within that period. I just kind of lived, you know. Um, and I think it's definitely since becoming a mother and then really leaning into the kindness collective and going, actually, this is what I want to do with my life. That's the chunk that I'm, that has, I guess, made me who I am rather than before that. Yeah. Well, becoming becoming a dedicated and involved parent is always going to change everything. But I, I struggle to imagine what it would have been like finding out that, because I've got a two-year-old daughter. All uh, right. I would have struggled to imagine what it would be like to have a, um, a child with needs, disability. I know people yeah. who have had it. And I come usually able to empathize pretty well, but that, that's just something where just I haven't had that experience and it just feels yeah. so distant. Yeah, and I think people always say to me, oh, God, you're so strong, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You just, you just cope. You, you just do. And um, I'm very open about the fact that the first four years with Max were a challenge and they were hard. And that doesn't mean I love him any less. It makes me love him more. But they were definitely hard. He didn't sleep. He screamed a lot of the time because he, he couldn't communicate, you know. He... He didn't eat, he didn't, he didn't sleep. And I, I lived for about four years on 
three to four hours sleep a night. Um, and as a parent, you know that sucks. <laughs> you know, yes. there's nothing worse than sleep deprivation. Um, and I, I think, you know, his autism, it changed everything. It changed, the, it changed me and it changed me forever. And it, it, if it wasn't for that, there would be no major turning point in my life. There would be no kindness collective. I firmly, I, I just, I know it's true. There would be no, dif- I would be a different person. And I think his disability, which is now a superpower, his disability and, and, and learning how to advocate for him, learning how to give him what he needed and fight for him. Because in every space, <laughs> in New Zealand, in school, in the community. It's just not set up for people with disabilities. There's just no part of that society is set up for people, um, including school. And you just, you have to advocate and fight all the time for what you need for your child. And I just know that that is what has made me be good at my job. It's what made, it's made me be a better mum, a better wife, a better friend, um, and just not a vapid, selfish human. So I think I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm, my husband tells me that I'm, I am, but I, and then he calls me crazy woo woo, Um, but it's, I'm I'm not, but I just believe that that was meant to be essentially. And I think I'm, yeah, I think his, his autism was, um, yeah, I, th- I think it was a turning point for a lot of things, and I'm really grateful for it. And so, I mean, you had you had postnatal depression before you found out that he, that he mm. had challenges, right? Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that some of the disabilities, um, while undiagnosed at the time, maybe contributed to it as well. But mm. that that's definitely something which is completely completely underspoken about. Uh, I've seen definitely. studies which are one in three, one in five, three in ten uh, mm. women end up having postnatal depression, and yet yeah, we live in a society with social media and hey, look how amazing my kid is! And yeah, that's exactly it. And look how I'm having the most perfect mothering experience. Look at my beautiful baby bump. I just looked like a massive tank when I was pregnant. <laughs> I was not graceful at all. It was terrible. Um, I had an awful pregnancy. I um, was, you know, I had lots of friends that had beautiful pregnancies and, you know, loved being a mother. And, you know, from the moment that they had this beautiful, perfect child, they were besotted with them. And it was just this wonderful experience. And I just did not have that at all. <laughs> I didn't have a good experience at all. And I... Um, yeah, and I very, I mean, I've always been prone to melancholy. Like, you know, some people just are. Some people are just prone to being a bit blue, you know. And I've always been one of them. I've always, you know, from the day I was born, I was prone to being a little bit sad, you know. <laughs> and so I think for me, it was quite inevitable that I would get postnatal depression. But I just, my goodness, there's just not. People don't talk about it at all. And I think, um, and now when a friend of mine's pregnant or they have a baby, I'm like, within a couple of days, how are you? Are you okay? You know, the baby blues are very normal, but how are you feeling? How are you coping? Because it's, no one did that for me. And I, and I 
wish that I had had someone that I could say, hey, look, I'm not having a good time here. And, you know, I wish there were some services that could have helped with that. But I'm, again, grateful for the experience because it's, you know, spawned a lot of goodness. So, Is that, is that one of your guiding principles that um, challenges can always spur more goodness if you allow it to? Oh, no, but I like it. I'm just going to write that down. <laughs> uh, no, but one thing, you know how, I don't know if you're the type of person that has a saying or something, like a little mantra that you say in your head, but I've got a little mantra and I, I heard it when I was up. I don't know, I was probably doom scrolling on Instagram, but I saw it or I heard it or something at three in the morning. I was bawling my eyes out. I was just crushed my baby wouldn't stop crying I couldn't breastfeed it was just a horrendous time just so not enjoying it and I read something that said it's all going to be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end and I always it's just stuck in my head and you know when things get tough or I, I'm you know I had another bout of depression last year um, and then I'm only just starting to come out of now but I can keep saying that to myself and I think um, that was, has become kind of like a, a principle and that, you know, for, for the work that I do with the Kindness Collective, it's all based on non-judgment, empathy, and that every Kiwi deserves kindness. Mm-hmm. So those are my, um, I guess, values for the work. But for me, it's just, it's all going to be okay in the end. So whatever is going on today... It's all going to be okay. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I resonate with what with what you're sharing. There's um, I just remember with my daughter, she was not, she wasn't feeding well in the beginning. It made it kind of tough for us in a few ways, as you could imagine. Mm. And then I don't know, like I, a lot of people are like, "Wow, those first few months were amazing." I'm like, "It was a freaking blur to me." It was, <laughs> I, I had a ba- like I I have like you know like a, like you imagine I don't know like in movies or whatever where you kind of like just get warped forward and then you walk forward to another memory and you walk forward and then you end up at the end of it. It's like what the hell just happened? Yeah, but that's exactly I have, it. I have these memories of I don't know running out of songs to try to hopefully get my baby to sleep, like a two-month-old. And I started, like, singing the Star Wars theme song because I'm running out of ideas. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, you you find yourself doing all kinds of crazy things. (laughs) At 4 a.m. in the morning. It's Mm. like, what what are you supposed to do? Um, And so what do you feel as a, like, is this something that Kindness Collective is working towards? of helping people who um, are really struggling to gain access to any of the resources that they need really need at the at the right timely moments? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because you would think that I, I guess with my experiences, I would be in kind of trying to work in that space, but I'm not. And I think there are some incredible organisations working within you know the advocacy space for people with disability well there's not enough of people with disabilities but that's for another time um but you know with postnatal depression and and that kind of thing it's I just don't I don't feel called or driven to 
use that experience to do anything else within the kindness collective and I don't think it's my place and I don't think just because I've had an experience where someone doesn't give me any um I guess any what's the word when you like any authority to go and do anything with it and I just don't think the kindness collective is that kind of um right space for it I do eventually um want to the kindness collective will always be this for what it does and it will always stay there. Um, but it personally, I do eventually want to get more into um, advocacy work for children with autism. So I am hopefully joining a board this year of a really cool um, organisation that um, is another charitable trust that focuses on advocacy for children with autism that helps them um, gain access to therapy that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so that is where my heart lies and I will, you know, work in that space over the next coming years as well. But I, mean, I don't think there are any other organisations, I don't know off the top of my head, many organisations working within the postnatal depression space apart from, you know, the government organisations, but it's not something I'm called to do. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, there are a few I'm aware of and they're doing some mm. amazing work. In New Zealand Just, or? Uh, no, in in Australia and I'm aware of mm -hmm. one in the US as well. Mm -hmm. um, they've got, they do some beautiful work too. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, I, was, I was a little bit surprised when you said that's not, that's not my authority to do it because the way that the whole kindness collective started yeah. was you saying, hey, you got to go and give food to this women's shelter. They need it. And you're really I know. Great. And that was, I think the way it started was my experience was I was, depressed I had this experience and this is what helped me get through it and from that has built has you know something beautiful has been built but I don't feel that I guess I mean the kindness collective still works with the same women's refuge and has for eight years um we still I'm, I'm I go to the safe houses weekly the the family is my family you know so um we still work there but in terms of trying to advocate or be a voice for or um, represent women with postnatal depression, it's not, yeah, I don't feel like I have an authority there at all. Yeah. And so like this, this postnatal depression must have been really tough in your career as well. Did you like have to kind of step back completely? Did you try and get back into the workforce afterwards? Yeah, it was really tough. And um, I didn't have a good pregnancy so left my job early um and then I had the most brilliant bosses um one of them who I still adore now and you know call for advice all the time <laughs> um but um they were super good with letting me ease back into it um and they made my job fit for me um so I was able to work school hours and I was able to um, work from home when needed and if I didn't have that, I would not have been able to go back into my um, career as easily as I did. And I'm very grateful for that because, and then especially when Max was diagnosed um, with autism, that came a whole lot of more responsibilities um, in terms of being available for therapy and things like that. And they, they were so flexible that I was able to navigate both worlds really easily. Um, so if I didn't have supportive boss and team that would have been 10 times harder but I think you know the transition with motherhood going back into a career 
is different for all women. But it's tough. It's really tough because you can't give 100% to your career and give 100% to motherhood at the same time. Something always is out of balance. And it's usually you, <laughs> you know, like when you're a mum and you have a job, you'll always come last. It's just the way it is. Um, but I mean, I've spoken to a hundred, 101 mums over the, you know, last few years, friends and all the rest. And you just see people chatting about how difficult it is to go back to work. Um, and I think the Kindness Collective, now this is my job. This is, I'm very fortunate to have this as my job now. Um, this is the greatest job I've ever had. So being able to work it in with being a mum, it's much more seamless than it was before. It's, yeah, it's much easier. Is that part of the solution? Entrepreneurialism? Oof. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't see people. I don't call myself an entrepreneur. Mm. I mean, I've had one idea, which doesn't make an entrepreneur. <laughs> I know some real entrepreneurs. This woman I know, Mimi Gilmore. Oh, she's fabulous. Like she has started multiple businesses and, um, you know, is very well known in hospitality sector. And I adore her. She's fantastic. And now she started a skincare brand and she's an entrepreneur. Um, I don't think I am. I, um, but I kind of wonder if, I wonder if it is like creating solutions led by people for problems that there are. I don't know. I don't think we need any more businesses selling products. I don't think we need any more stuff, but if people who I guess saw the world like uh, entrepreneurs do, I guess, um, and saw solutions to things, maybe if they spent some of that space and energy and time and thought, and moved it to the sector that I'm in, that would be beneficial. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously that. I, I, I'll classify you. I'm obviously no authority to speak about entrepreneurship. Uh, but there's someone who identifies a problem that no one's really solving and then finding a way to solve it. Yeah. An entrepreneur. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Fine, I'll, yeah, I'll take that stupid right. title. I will right. update my LinkedIn this afternoon. <laughs> Hashtag entrepreneur. I'm going to do that on everything now. I'm going to do that with everything. <laughs> no, look, there are some people out there who can definitely take that crown. And I, I'm very, you know, Josh is someone yes. we both, you have um, spoken to Josh before. I am very grateful that Josh is my coach and he, um, I have a session with him every week and he is amazing. Um, and he is an entrepreneur. There are some people, you know, some people that really clearly are um, and have that curious way of thinking. And I think, I don't know if I do, but I can. And the more I um, work within the Kindness Collective and the more I work with other people in the charity sector and, and see what they do, you can identify, identify problems every day. And there's, there's so many of them, um, but I don't have solutions for any others. So, <laughs> yeah. I hear that. I, I'd, I'd imagine the other part of the solution uh, would just be to kind of overturn the outdated gender stereotypes of just even asking someone, are you a caregiver or are you a 
um are you a like breadwinner yeah oh look i yeah which the there latest, are some people uh, doing amazing yeah. things on that as well there are like the latest um you know international women's day you know just like refreshing linkedin or any social media post you'll see a thousand and one businesses jumping on board with you know break the bias and all their, <laughs> their little hand movements and things and whatever they do but I just, I, I don't think, I mean, it's important we have a day to recognize women and all the rest, but if we just did that every day, um, mm. just close the pay gap and, you know, other things like that, I think it would definitely, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot more we can do every day, really simply, to empower women, I think, rather than just waiting for a day. Yes. Mm. Yeah, one day a year. That's yeah, all we one, get. one day a year. Because every day is man's day. <laughs> I, I did see some posts about that and I raised an eyebrow. Yeah. And then I saw a couple. To, yeah. A man not going, to engage in that drama. When's man's day? I was like, oh, sweetheart, it's every day. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what are some of the challenges, like some of the really considerable challenges that you've had with building up? Uh, kindness collective yeah I think one of the big challenges is when you're a new charity um and especially in New Zealand the you know it's hard work it's well, building something is hard work anyway but I think there's there's you know probably a handful maybe 20 really really big charities in New Zealand and they take all the funding all the space all the conversation um and all the, you know, and all the money. <laughs> so um, you're, you know, the, and I didn't realize this, but the charity sector is incredibly com um, competitive mm -hmm. and everybody's fighting for that same dollar. You know, everyone's, um, yeah, it's really competitive and I wish it wasn't. It feels so gross that it is. Um, and I try not to be wherever possible, you know, but I think the challenges are is, is, funding it's always going to be a problem you know and um for us the kindness collective our biggest challenge at the moment is keep and this sounds terrible but keeping up with the growth and that we have grown so fast i mean our first year was um first end of financial year as a charity you have to report on every dollar and where it's gone and what it's achieved which i love and i'm super transparent about everything that comes and goes out and we did three hundred and twenty thousand in our first year end of this year, we're going to be sitting at 1.3 million. So the growth is huge um, really quickly. And for me, the biggest challenge is now I've got to start hiring people. And, you know, who do you hire? You know, you've got to get the right people with the right culture fit and the right um, people who don't just want a job because this is not just a job. I don't clock off at five o'clock. Christmas time, I work 17 hours a day. For four, you know, four weeks in a row, I don't see my family in Christmas. I, I don't, I don't do anything but work. So, someone who, um, who gets joy in doing things for other people, you know, in working in the community, that you have to find the right person, and that's a challenge. And um, finding space that fits our growth, you know. So, I'm navigating kind of all that kind of thing at the moment as well, and. Keeping up, keeping up with the growth and being able to sustain it is a challenge. Yeah. And, and for me, not burning out is a massive challenge because I am a perfectionist. I always want to do more. And um, Josh, 
will tell me constantly that I need to take more time to celebrate the wins rather than going, that's done, that's done, move on to the next thing. Constantly moving on, never taking in, wow, that Christmas was amazing. I just opened a toy shop and we gave away 25,000 toys to children. And and stop and instead my brain automatically goes next year we're doing 50 um and actually and you know celebrating those moments more and you know that stops that can help stop that burnout as well but that's a major challenge and every board meeting it's on the top of the agenda (laughs) challenges Sarah not burning out (laughs) it's it's always always there yeah. Yeah, because I, I can I can really hear the frustration there as well. Like the yeah, I can celebrate the wins or I can go and get bigger wins. And yeah. it's almost as if celebrating the wins, there's just this fear in the back of our minds that as soon as we stop and take stock of how incredible we have it and how well we've done and what we can be grateful for, that suddenly we're stopping and that's stopping all the energy going into things that we can be even more excited about and have yeah. even more grateful for in the future, right? Yeah, and you know what? This is a real big thing. In New Zealand, tall poppy syndrome. Mm. You, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but in New Zealand, you cannot be too proud. You, can, you cannot be too loud about being proud about what you do. And in this sector particularly, you cannot celebrate your wins too much mm. because – yeah, you've got to be, it's really, it's a, it's bloody hard to be honest. Like, you know, you, you want to celebrate your wins so you can, as a human kind of in your own development, go, cool, you did a good job. Well done. Take a rest, you know. Right, let's see what you can do different. You know, you want to celebrate those wins and, and feel good that you've done something. You can't celebrate them too much because people will think you're egotistical. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, and I really found that in the last sort of six months, in this, I'm going to be really careful with how I say this too, you've got to be really careful with how much you talk about doing doing well. I mean, in the last three, three to six months, I've, um, not even saying this gives me, like makes me feel gross, but I've been a finalist in, in two award, one award, got an award for another thing, and then um, got a little nomination um, medal in another thing. And they're just even like posting about those things makes you feel like, oh God, I better not talk about that too much because then people will think I'm egotistical. And, and that's a real big problem in New Zealand is people – you want to celebrate those wins, but you also don't want to be seen to be celebrating them too much. So it's that balance. And it's a real Kiwi thing. We're, yeah, real, real Kiwi thing. No, there's something very similar in Australia, and we call it tall puppy syndrome. Oh, as well. okay. You're right. Um, okay. Must be one of those conflict things. Yeah. But the, there's a, I, I have a, I have a pretty big personal gripe with it because the people who are most successful and the people who, uh, achieve the most holistically for themselves are the mm. ones who kind of ignore the social norms and the societal norms. And so like, Oh, you know wow. what? You've got these, like, yeah. you've got these, like, sure. Other people might not like, just imagine if I don't know, take the, uh, just imagine if Steve jobs was like, Oh, you know, 
I'm not saying he's a great example of success because he's only been really successful in one or two areas of his life, not in all areas. But let's just let's just use his career success as the mm -hmm. example. And he says, you know what? I don't know. I could make this thing which is really awesome. And but that means I'll need to share it with other people and make sure that other people know about it in order for it to be uh, and then maybe people will kind of like judge me for it. And you know what? I'm just I got this idea for the iMac. I'm just not even going to do it. Just, <laughs> just leave that to the side. It might, yeah. it might change the world and stuff. You know, people might judge me too much and, and then it might just kind of be shitty. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is something that I said earlier is, is you just have to not care. And I think I've, or just be a bit more vulnerable and just go, okay, it is what it is. I'm just going to share what I've got to share with people and, I think in the last year, since I've become more vocal personally about the Kindness Collective and I've, you know, claimed those things. I mean, I just, you know, claimed those awards and, and talked about them and talked about the Kindness Collective more and took opportunities like this. I, I think the more I've done that, the quicker it's grown, the quicker other people have wanted to get involved because they love what we're doing and that breeds success, you know, so that kind of, um that snowballs and it's all started with well, not all started but it's it's me putting myself out there more has definitely helped that and you just have to i'm not steve jobs i mean making sure people get fed each week is not as brilliant as an iphone because i would be lost without my iphone <laughs> um um but not listening to that tall poppy syndrome voice, you know, that imposter syndrome one, that critic that's always telling you, you know, all the things that it tells you because everyone's got one, right? Um, mm -hmm. if, but the, the, the less we listen to them, I think, the more positive things we can achieve ourselves and for the community. I think if we just do what we can to make those voices smaller. Are you, are you beginning to intentionally stand out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I am. And about a year ago, I was kind of, I had lots of charities. I don't know. They were maybe, not lots, but a few. Kind of maybe jealous at how quickly we were growing or doing things or whatever. And would kind of um, make little comments about how different we were and, you know, that people don't get us and, people don't really get what you do. You know, what do you, what do you even do? Oh, you guys are so different. You know, those little comments that people make and now I embrace them and I say, we are different. That is the point. We are, we are different. And I'm starting to embrace um, that difference is actually being really impactful for, for quite a lot of people. And I'm becoming louder about that fact myself rather than being shy, because shy, shy. Being shy doesn't um, doesn't get more people to f to know about what you do, and doesn't get more people fed. Because the result and the 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 outcome for what you want is always more people in the community getting what they need. So if I need to be louder, more intentionally loud about my journey, what we do, why we do it, why it's important, then I'm now going to do it. And I feel at 41, 
um, a lot more capable of doing it than I would have been 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, on this topic of how you're doing things differently and how, yes, we are different, uh, I'm guessing a, a big part of why you're different, well, you've already shared one, is that um, you're always doing something new and something mm. which is community-led uh, as opposed to, well, intention for the community, but it's actually what the community says they need. Mm. But there's this other part of it, of the charity, which just sounds amazing, which is that you in this businesses to want to give to people who need more. And yeah. so like mo most people say, or most people think about charity as like, well, I'm just going to give something to people who have less, but it just sounds so much more fruitful that instead of being the one giving, you're just facilitating the, I think, I think I saw what 2000, over 2000 businesses. No, it's, uh, I need to update the website. It's way more now. <laughs> You know what? I actually do keep, I keep a record. I would have to go and have a look, but I, I document everything, but it's way more than that now. Um, we act, and what I love is that we act as a bit of a matchmaker. So we will act as a matchmaker between people who have excess and people who are in need. And I think we get, and, and one kind of value that I'm really, really vocal about, and every time I do a piece of public speaking or um, every social media post I can get away with it's it's challenging the notion that beggars can't be choosers because mm. I hate that saying nothing makes me more angry than beggars can't be choosers because you know what they bloody can and everyone deserves good everyone deserves new everyone deserves quality and I think something that I'm so actually you know what I'm really proud of is the community that we have built donate quality and we connect with businesses who believe in donating quality too. Lots of charities with food and, you know, goods you get donated, end of life stock or stuff that's expired or um, broken secondhand things that just, you know, no one needs it. No one wants it, you know. And yeah, it's all sustainability is great um, and stuff in the planet. We need to take care of it. Absolutely. But every child deserves the joy of new and at Christmas I was so proud that in our toy store close to 25,000 toys were given out and they were all toys that I would buy for my child and they were all toys that were good quality beautiful and new boxes purchased off the shelves and as a result you know almost 7,000 kids got to open presents for themselves at, uh, you know open on Christmas morning presents that were such great quality and I think being able to facilitate that is brilliant and you know businesses like we had this amazing skincare company get in touch with ten thousand dollars worth of skincare there's nothing wrong with it they just wanted to give it um and being able to pass things out like that on to women living in a woman's refuge that now have beautiful new skincare it's, it's, I love it. I love that part of what we do is that connecting and um, getting people to donate new and good quality stuff is awesome and something that a lot of charities don't get. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, I remember, so my wife and I, 
before we had a daughter and life changed, uh, we used to do, <laughs> we, we did child. the opposite. We, we did more charitable work before child than after, mm. uh, the opposite to you. Um, no, but we, uh, we used to do some food drives um, okay. at a couple of places where people really needed it, especially like asylum seekers and those types of places mm. as well. And would make food for it. And people, like, people would act surprised or maybe they're acting surprised or maybe they were actually surprised. I suspect they were. Um, that we would make a big batch of something, would put, like, a part of it aside for us to eat and then the rest of it we're giving away. It's like, wait, you're going to eat. You're making stuff for other people that you're going to eat as well because i care a lot about my health and what i put my body mm, on mm. why would i give them something else exactly like, there's that there is that well, mentality and it's you know i i hate it and i just constantly challenge it but there is that mentality mentality of i get this good quality thing and then you get mm. the dented cans of chickpeas from the back of my cupboard and mm. i nah i'm just I'm not about it and the kindness collective is not about it and we donate you know all the the good food that i eat the refuge families and other families get as well and um yeah and we're really really lucky to work with some awesome brands that are really generous and believe in that quality of giving as well um actually you know what i'm really proud of that there you go I'm going to celebrate that careful, one. <laughs> careful, you might you might become a tall puppy. I know. Watch out for that. I'm, all the internet trolls will hate that one, but you know I am I am proud of that. And that, um, mm. yeah, I'm proud that a lot of people that are part of the kindness collective, their perception and their um, way of thinking has has changed over the years. Because what I do, and we've got a little members group with you know our active um, donors. Um, and I'll, I won't just go, Hey, we need money for this. Thanks. I will, with the, um, person's permission, I'll share some stories and I'll share the outcome of, of what we've done. And just a tiny example, if we have time, a, a mum came to the refuge one night, um, with two small children, the baby didn't even have socks on her feet and, um, her partner had smashed her phone and her uh, and they came to the refuge and they had nothing and the leader called me and said can you help um, with she's got no phone she's got no credit she's got no food she's got nothing she literally just came with the you know clothes on her back and I told her story and she she had a lot of these women that come to these refuges don't get any government support because their visas are tied to their partners so they've got no way of getting support from the government because of immigration status so they live in limbo for months, waiting for emergency visas that take six months to come in. Another story. Um, but I put her story into our little community. And within, I think, 10 hours, there was a brand new phone, 3,000 cash, grocery vouchers, big, big piles of clothes, beautiful clothes for the children. Mum had new clothes, warehouse vouchers. Um, cots and beds and everything that they would need to then move out and have stuff furniture in their home and it was in 10 hours from this group of people that changed her life and I hate saying that um I hate saying that I hate charity saying we change lives you know no you don't but these little actions changed changed her outcome for her because she 
you know, she had nothing. Um, and even just being able to have a phone with credit on it, and there was a de- you know a decent amount. Um, it was it was awesome. And these people that are in that are part of the kindness collective are really responsive. Um, and I yeah, we've got so many different stories like that. Um, and I am proud of that too. <laughs> this will be the theme of the the podcast. So proud <laughs> I'm proud of that too. Sarah finds her pride. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a good thing. But um, you know, I, you know, stories like that, and they stay with me for a long time as well. So I'm so grateful that we get to do things like that. And is your excitement just the impact for those people that you're helping directly, or is there is there something bigger at play? Oh. Um. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I love being able to help more and more and more people, you know, as the years go on. I love that. Um, we're just a little plug right now. If anyone's still listening, they're probably not, let's be honest. But you know, it's been a really long time. But we're doing something called the PJ Project and we're going to provide over 5,000 pairs. I'd like to do 10,000 pairs of warm winter pyjamas for children from Northland to Queenstown. Um, within different social services and women's refuge groups. Um, and I just, like, I love that last year it was 2,500 and this year it's easily 5,000 and next year it'll be 10. And then there's, there's more and more children that have this thing. And it's not going to change their lives, a pair of pyjamas. It's not, you know, let's be honest, it's not going to mean they get to go to university for free and become a doctor. It's not, you know, it's not going to, but it's going to give them a warm slate. And at the very least, we can do that. I love that. Because so many people will focus on the, on this broader approach of going, well, no, 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 we've got to be able to get these people educated, become doctors, help them save lives and whatever, mm. and be able to provide for their family. And that is great. Just forgetting, maybe they're <laughs> just forgetting the small things, right? Yeah, look, that is great. And I, you know, like if there are some incredible people doing awesome work with, you know, um, with, within education and you know those things are super important like my my fangirl charity is kids can in new zealand i just i adore them and what they do and they they go to schools and feed a couple of hundred thousand kids every day with food i mean that's epic and this just i just adore it um but we don't we don't we do, I, I can't do that like that's, you know that's that, that's that's massive um but if we can just do those little things here and there that bring a little bit of joy to people's lives and make that week a little bit easier then then job done you know like christmas last year we had you know we we changed christmas for so many families and you know especially last year it was really really tough you know coming out of in new zealand we came out of a five-month lockdown 17 weeks i think it was which is just a really long time (laughs) you know like a really long time and, and we had, you know, so many families that through all the different social services and we've had some incredible feedback since, but, you know, weren't going to be able to provide food or Christmas presents for their children. Like it just wasn't on the cards. Um, and the fact that because we opened the store, children got Christmas. I mean, that's awesome. Like it's, it's, it's really cool. And I think, you know, it's not going to change their reality day to day but it's going to mean that they have that memory of that one Christmas 
um, mum got me some cool presents. Mm. Yeah, and I, that's that's enough, you know. It's 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 good, and I think the whole concept of the store is that it's not to the children don't know that we're involved. The whole entire point is that mum and dad or my caregiver has got me these presents, and so mum has wrapped. You know, we've provided wrapping paper and all that kind of thing, and then they've wrapped. So the kids get to open them on Christmas morning and they, they, they believe it was mum and dad that got them. And that's, yeah, that's what we wanted. Yeah. And that also must bring you right back to childhood as well, right? You never, your, your mum was kind of quiet about uh, making sure you didn't know, or she was quite intentional making sure you didn't know uh, yeah, the, and how hard she worked. That's exactly it. And my mum, my love, like I'm one of those psycho people that first December Mariah Carey comes on and it's loud. And I have a Christmas album on Spotify that I make sure everybody listens to wherever we go. Like I am, I, I love Christmas and my mum made Christmas magic for me growing up. And I can't remember Christmas, even when we struggled, I can't remember a Christmas that wasn't magical. And so I have, I guess, harnessed that love of Christmas and um, I want to give that to every kid. I mean, the goal is eventually to have joy stores in every city and they're open all December and we do 100,000 children. Like, that's the goal. Why not? Yeah, why not? And the goal after that, like why stop with 100,000? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a guy in Switzerland um, get in touch a few months ago and say, I want to do a Christmas joy store in Switzerland. Like, oh, maybe I could franchise this thing. Maybe you could. (laughs) Uh, And that's interesting, right? Because it kind of sounds like a lot of people who run charities probably start to get really frustrated that there are people who don't want to part with their money and don't want to part with their resources to be able to help others. It kind of sounds like, firstly, you don't care if you offend people by asking them for money. And if you ask them that many times and they keep saying no, they'll just disappear and they'll go, great, cool. I I don't need to bother wasting my time with you anymore. Yeah, no, I, I'm, um, I'm pretty sure most of my friends and family have hidden me on social media now. Uh, like I'm firmly <laughs> hidden from everyone's news feeds because I've just got, I've got no, I guess, no shame anymore in pointing out people's privileges. Mm. I've got no shame anymore in saying, hey, this community needs this. Can you help? And if you can't, that's cool. Whatever. It's fine. Mm. You probably could. But <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> but I just, I am so incredibly, and the more and more and more I do this job, the more incredibly aware I am of my own privilege and everything that I have in life. And um, I guess some would call me a woke hippie, but whatever. But I, I just, my dream is that everybody can wake up one day and see their incredible privilege that they live in you know, those of us that do and go, right, what can I do today to make people who don't have that same experience? What can I do to make their lives more enjoyable? And that's, that's my goal. And if I offend you by asking you to become aware of your privilege in life, then, oh, well. So, so be it. No, something that Josh, um, I did a campaign last year called 100 Acts of Kindness and there was like this um, live event that it kicked off with and um, the charity needed someone to speak, you know, someone from the charity to speak and so Josh spoke 
and something he said really stuck with me and that and we constantly hear about people during the pandemic that haven't done so well but you've got to remember that there are a lot of people that have done really well from the pandemic yes there are a lot of people and those are the people we need to remind hey look supermarket chains you've done really well from lockdown what can you give back to your community the ones that haven't so i think that's um something i'm not afraid to say anymore yeah i love that and it's it kind of answered the next question which i had for you which was um uh, which was what about those people who just say yeah but these people don't deserve it or these people haven't done anything to earn it and that's just highlighting their unaware the, the fact that they're not aware of their own privilege right that's exactly it uh, this guy i was gonna say this joker but i should be really careful <laughs> the gentleman who was um running for prime minister in new zealand from an, an, a different political party was on um a radio station yesterday and called people in the low income bracket bottom feeders right yeah i won't <laughs> I, i'll let my face say how i feel about that but <laughs> but i just I, I would really the dream would be for people to not think like that anymore and for people to think um we are all equal but we don't live an equal experience how can we make the lives of those people who don't live in this way how can we make their lives better what can we do those of us who do live in this really good way what can we do to the lives of people who don't and i think yeah, yeah that's just how i live my life now and my my dream is that everybody gets to and i think it's really simple like all the studies show like all the economical studies show that when the vulnerable parts of society are built up everyone does really well yes. like there's graphs like this you know graphs, <laughs> there's like fancy infographics there's, there's you, know? you know like these graphs from america even when like you know they show that poor communities when there is money time and resource invested in those communities everybody does well out of it shock horror you know like and i just think if we spend time and money and effort looking after those in society who are vulnerable then no one's going to be vulnerable anymore maybe i should run for prime minister <laughs> i'm sure there are people who are listening cheering on for this it's a really bad idea <laughs> it's a really bad idea far too emotional <laughs> <laughs> they'll take the recording go sarah says she's too emotional for politics She'll never definitely definitely am no i am uh, too feisty <laughs> i mean i'd love like so you you have this you have this wealth of experience uh which you've shared a lot of as well and i'd, I'd love to hear maybe what advice would you give to your younger self like if you could rewind and go oh, back 20 so years much. to the 20 year old sarah Mm, actually makes me teary thinking about that. I don't see emotional. Couldn't be a politician. Um, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. And I think, I think something I would definitely say to my younger self is be proud of who you are. And you know the the things that people will see as shortcomings are actually 
parts of beauty and they are you know they are things that will that will become your strengths later on so you know all the times you were told you were too much too loud talked too much too intense too this too that those will be the things that mean that you can bring Christmas to 7,000 children so embrace them I love, <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love that uh now I'm just processing it all and taking it in thank you so maybe what I'll what we'll quickly do to wrap up uh is I'll give a little bit of a summary of what I've heard you share and um, off the back of um off the back of this conversation and then I'll be really keen to hear uh your thoughts if I've missed something or mm-hmm. if I put in something that definitely shouldn't have been there and you're like Harry you weren't listening to me uh or and then if there's anything else that you want to add as well yeah cool so so first off we started by exploring like how you define success and you said it used to look really really different like it used to be about having stuff having your clothes more money in the bank better things how much you could get and do and who you could be and all of that kind of stuff and i think the word you used was it's now purpose and feeling Mm. and so i you ask yourself at the end of every day have have I had an impact on someone else? A positive impact, I, I assume. Uh, does my son feel loved? Um, mm. And then you started to define your family. I'm sorry, I forgot the Maori word for it. But there's... This is your, all good, but it's a good living your, opportunity. Fano. Fano, cool. Very it sounds nice. similar to family. I go. can remember that one. That's good. Fano. Your, your closer Fano, as well as broader Fano, further mm. Fano as well. Mm. And you said that all members of your charity basically like your whānau as well mm. all the people who benefit from it in terms of those who benefit from receiving but all those also those who benefit from giving too and mm-hmm. uh, you've always found yourself as more of an overachiever and you said that there were this there was kind of like these moments where you started to see the divide of wealth and once you see it you can't unsee it mm-hmm. and so the kindness collective needed to be different and that was the point it needed to be community-led and needed to provide what the community was ask, actually asking for rather than what you just felt good providing to it. Right? And so your whole background is kind of like broke, uh, grew up in a broken home. Your mum was incredibly inspirational, even even though you had uh, struggled a lot and always had without, you never felt like you had without. Mm. Your mum just always did what she needed to and that's where you said you got your drive and your heart from. And that she's an inspiration for you, even at 50, going back to mm. uni and becoming a lawyer. Amazing. Yeah. And, and despite that, despite you saw all of that, you still didn't have any ambition when you were leaving school. You were paying other people to do your tests and give you results. <laughs> and you could study hard, you weren't athletic, you never won awards, you're never good at anything, but you're always great at talking and selling and managing events and communicating and marketing. It was just kind of like your your strengths, right? Mm. And you said this amazing quote, I hope I can remember it correctly, but you said, the more you do something, the more you become it. Because the more you kind of keep working towards it and the more that you're giving, the more you become giving, it just becomes Mm. part of you. And you started out by just your son, um, you you had your son, you had a terrible pregnancy or a not very enjoyable pregnancy. And then um, a eventually realizing that your son uh, wasn't performing as well as others or wasn't developing as well. 
had diagnosed with autism, you felt even more depression than just your postnatal depression. Mm. And you started realizing that just by giving to others and not just to buskers or beggars on the street, but to actually just clearing out your, your cupboard, just going and giving food to people who need it more started to make you feel great. And you kept doing more and more and more of it and then started mm -hmm. bringing people into it as well, uh, mm -hmm. into the fold. And so while you're not an advocate yet on uh, parenting for, for children with disabilities, or autism, or for, or for mothers who have postnatal depression, uh, you're definitely an advocate towards just finding things, helping people do things that make them feel great. Mm. Uh, and you even shared that there are some people who are saying that they're, they have less depression as a result of being members of the kindness collective or not. Yeah. I'm using the word well now. And you shared, you shared some really key guiding principles. Uh, you have this mantra that it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And you just believe that everyone, especially Kiwis, uh, deserve to live a life of non-judgment and with empathy and that everyone just needs respect. Everyone needs to be treated as family as well. And so the, like we spoke about some of your frustrations, I think you like your, your pain with the beggars can't be choosers. You can't just give people second hand and that's kind of the nature of it. And you don't have a normal kind of work experience. Your fear is always that you're going to burn out or maybe everyone else around you's fear is that you're going to burn out. <laughs> that's why it's at yeah. the top of every agenda, right? Yeah. Um, because you'll just keep giving. You've recognized a lot of your privilege and mm. we're all equal but we don't have an equal experience and so it's all going to be okay your shortcomings are actually part of your beauty and they'll become your strengths and your superpowers later on mm -hmm. and you just need to be proud of who you are forget about tall poppy syndrome right 100 percent. this was more of a therapy session than a podcast <laughs> how much do i owe you <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the advice later <laughs> good <laughs> yeah that was, was, was there anything which you want to add to that um no if anything i've said has inspired you to want to become a giver head to kindness.co.nz <laughs> little plug in there no no nothing else no that's summed it up perfectly perfect well i've really enjoyed this conversation i've loved the insights i've gained from you and just this just this core message of just keep doing what you know is right and eventually, eventually it's just going to get the results. That's exactly um, it. Mm. Above any of the, the negativity from others or the criticisms from others, they don't matter mm -hmm. anywhere near as much as who you can become. That's exactly things. it. And it's, that is exactly right as well. Do what you, this is the right thing to do. Mm. Looking what after some, other people is the right thing to do. So, you know, do more of it. What can someone do if they're listening to this and go, I'm not that privileged. I, I don't actually believe you. You know, maybe Sarah has a point. Maybe, maybe I'm privileged. I'm open to exploring it, but I don't believe I have it. I got nowhere to start looking. Google is your friend. Google the words. Do you know what? And this is actually, some people will just go, ah, and get turned off automatically. But just Google the simple concept of white privilege. Mm. It will completely, the more you, I guess, understand it the more the more you see it everywhere um and it changes your perception on how you live your life mm. it did for me anyway so i think just 
and there's I think there's a a really good um, it's like a, a good saying, but you know if you can tick off all of these things, then you know that you live a privileged life. If you can wake up in the morning in a warm, dry, safe home, if you've got food in the fridge when you open up the fridge and there's food in there, if you can walk on two legs without you know a disability of any kind, if you can you've got you can swipe your FPOS card and you you know that it will accept. All those things are just huge privileges in life. And there are so many people in New Zealand that cannot even tick one of those boxes. You know, we've got 260,000 people living in poverty um, and then some, you know. So I think if you don't think you're privileged in any way, then I encourage people to open their eyes a little bit and just fire through that list and tick those things off and... Yeah, look for opportunities to give to other people. And feel sad, but don't become depressed by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Don't watch the news. Just don't watch the news anymore. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Especially right now. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for spending your time and giving your time and sharing your insights and your journey and your story. We really appreciate it, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Success with Purpose and I also hope that you feel capable to apply some of the perspectives and learnings from this episode in your own life. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe below. And until next time, live with purpose.